Good morning, everyone. This is my name is Mario. On this show, I interview people from the video game industry. I'm gonna ask them about their lives and not as much about their professional successes. So buckle up. I'm Pietro Faccio, your host, and I would like to ask you for some help on this first episode, especially welcoming my first guest. So let's start with a round of applause for the great super polyedric stand-up comedian, politician, and so forth, Lotta Backlund. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Lotta. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing really fine. You know, I live in Warsaw and there is a beautiful sunny day. So mm-hmm. whenever, whenever there, is su- there is a sunny day, I'm very happy, like boom, from the very morning. What about you? What about Helsinki? Helsinki actually today is absolutely beautiful. We had a lot of snowfall. It's around minus eight, which for some people is kind of cold, but for Finns is like business as usual. Uh, but the sun is out, so it's like beautifully snowy um, and sunny. So that's great. But uh, I only know this because I'm looking out the window because I've had like the flu for the entire week, which is why I sound like this. I would like to point out, I do like audiobooks and voiceover stuff. So I actually have a really nice voice but you will not find out in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it's, it's still a good voice. You know, the voice of when we're sick is kind of warmer and, uh, and then you speak like that. There are... <laughs> I know, I feel like I've been, you know, smoking and having whiskey in like a dark shady bar. I kind of, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of like enjoying that image of me. I, I, I know, I, there are, when, when I'm sick, I uh, I somehow regret that I will have a better voice. I'm there, I don't know. I, it's, some, my sister calls me and I'm speaking with this voice very yeah. low. And then I think, oh, I would like to keep that. Just, I know. Oh, oh. oh, maybe you should. Maybe you should take up smoking and drinking whiskey. That could help. <laughs> well, the, the drinking whiskey can happen. The smoking, I quit smoke every winter. Guess what? I, oh. s- I smoke from uh april to mm-hmm. september and then well, i yes, don't like to go because outside i love sit i love to sit outside right and smoke but there's like i don't know three and a half days of that kind of time in finland so the smoking yeah. period is quite short in finland yeah exactly and the same in poland so i don't want to go outside i know it's not great to say i smoke but i still no uh, no no you're it. a summer smoker you're like a seasonal smoker and we speak that I and I and I'm very happy because it, uh, it makes me feel that I have very strong will. So it mm. tells me <laughs> so every year I can do it. But very good. let's dive into into Lotta Beckman. Mm. I want <laughs> I want to uh, I want to show you something or actually make you listen to something. I have uh-huh. here um a, a little bit of a summary of Lotta Beckland. And it's generated by AI um, using everything that uh, that it finds that it found on the net, oh my plus God. your LinkedIn account, right? And I told it generate for me something. This is what I'm gonna do on every episode, and uh, I prepared it for you. Do you want to listen to it? I do. I definitely do. Let's let's try. Let's try. Let's see if it works. A lot of backline, a dynamo in the world of communication 
and Media, Head of Communications and PR at Rovio since May 2021, Lotta has been at the forefront of crafting compelling narratives for the gaming industry. Lotta's journey began with stand-up comedy. Her comedic flair led her to various roles in Finnish television, hosting and performing, and to a morning radio show brightening up listeners' days. Lada is a seasoned professional in media development, having spent eight fruitful years at Warner Bros. Finland, where she was instrumental in adapting international formats for Finnish audiences. Her talents also extend into the literary world as a columnist for Finland's leading women's magazine and as a published author. With her latest book, Say Yes, hitting the shelves this summer, Lotta's dedication to societal development is evident in her long-standing involvement in politics. From her youth, contributing to the UN General Assembly, she has consistently sought to make a difference. And at the heart of all her endeavors is her role as a mother, an aspect that adds another layer to her remarkable narrative. But Very that good. was amazing because uh, that was actually factually correct. Yeah, yeah, and especially the word dynamo, which is completely factually correct. Um, no, but I was very impressed because I've had ChatGPT generate a bio for me in Finnish, I think, a couple of months ago, and it had me, uh, it had me hosting the Eurovision Song Contest. It also said that I've published several albums because I'm such a wonderful singer who all the Finns love. And I mean, I obviously just published that bio because it seemed much more exciting than my actual life. But this one was very good because this one was actually correct. Okay, that sounds that sounds good. Uh, I want to, so there are so many questions that I have for you. I don't know where to start, but I would start with what you know this this AI generated content was saying about mm-hmm. um, about your book. And so, first question is: Is that true? That's gonna be on the shelves in summer? So, and, yeah. and and it's, it's also the reason why I'm asking. I'm very interested in this because the title is so it's, it's so good. Say yes. So everyone would think like what's what's in. And also because I when I first reached out to you, uh, I remember that your first thing said, "Hey, listen, I just finished my book. It says say yes, so I can't say no." And so I was like, <laughs> "Lucky man, lucky man." And well, right. So actually. Yes, so you're correct, except the timeline is all wrong. So this is the book. It's called Say Yes. If you are you're listening to this on audio, then you can't see, but I'm holding it up. It's a pink book with my face on it, and it says Son of Gula, which is finished for Say Yes. So this is actually my book that came out in 2021. So it's a couple of years old. My second book is coming out this summer, and um, in Finnish it's called Sano Se Oikein, which is kind of in the same genre. Um, it's, it translates into Say It right or say it correctly and that's going to be a book about what you could learn from like corporate communications and political communications to implement into your personal life so there's going to be tips on for instance how do you break up by text or if you're in a crisis in your you know marriage then actually those things are solved exactly like big crises in you know companies are solved so Whether it is that you cheated on your wife or it is that you dumped like 800 tons of oil into the Mexican Gulf, this crisis will be handled communications-wise exactly in this, you know, according to the same principles. So that's what the second book is going to be out, uh, be about, and that's going to be out in July or August. Okay, July, July or August. Okay, sounds good. It's very interesting the content that you're that you're writing on, and and they are sort of complementary, right? Like one is the follow up to the first one, correct? 
Well, a little bit. So the first one is really a self-help book. It's about like how to how to conduct your life. It's all about like mm, having hustle, about you know having how to how to get better self-esteem, how to you know um, have a better life that looks like you, like having the courage to take maybe sometimes difficult decisions and choices on what to do in your career and in your life. And that's a very motivational book. But something sounds like something that 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 we need. That many people that many people need. One of the one of the things that I hear the most is uh, from people is that they don't have that that self confidence sometimes to to just come across as a you know like as a, as, a, as a normal person. Even I have, for example, a couple of friends that they um, they constantly mention how they maybe they don't panic, but they mm -hmm. don't feel good whenever they are in a in a in a situation, a public situation. So for example, we're going to, every second Friday, we go to a international meetings here in Warsaw. And there's this friend of mine that goes with me and he says, how is that when you enter, you know, people just say, hey, Pietro, and no one remembers me. And and it's like, I, I, I don't know how to approach people like like you do. Um, and and I just, my, my, my question, my, my question, my answer, my response mm -hmm. to that is always just like, first of all, relax. Um, and then it's also something that you build in time. It's not like overnight, but just, just try to be no, like yourself and not to impress anyone. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how, what, what, what would you suggest to someone that has the same Yeah. Question? Well, well, yeah, your friend's kind of right in that, um, our society and our social aspects of our lives are rigged. Uh, in favor of extroverted people, right? So if you are like you, or I guess like me, who love talking to other people, who love talking about ourselves and learning about new people and getting to know new places and going everywhere, uh, then you're going to have a much easier time doing all of that, making new friends, getting new acquaintances, picking up the phone, calling someone you don't know is not that much of an anxiety-inducing uh, effort for us. Uh, and it is harder if you're introverted. But then, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's hard for some people. Like, I'm terrible at chemistry. And just, you know, the world of chemistry is rigged against people like me who don't <laughs> have a fucking clue how chemistry works. My daughter had her chemistry test yesterday, and I was trying to help her, and I can't. Like, it would go worse if I tried helping her, right? So, yeah, life's unfair. <laughs> I, I feel you. I feel you. I have, I have the same. I have the same. But then still stay on, on that topic. Like, would you... Uh, Would, would you say is the right suggestion also to say learn how to listen rather than learning and projecting yourself like one of the things that i know how to do well is when i go among people and just like tell me your story i want mm -hmm. i want to know yeah please and then maybe my story can come later but i think yeah. that That also helps, no? What would you think? Well, yeah, yeah. And it's great if you are naturally curious and you actually do want to learn about other people. Because I think like other people are really interesting a lot of the time. So I do actually want to know what their thoughts are or what they've done or their story. But if you think about charisma and you think about someone who's really charismatic, usually actually charisma isn't about that person. Charisma is about how you felt with that person or after you met that person or after you saw that person. So charisma is about how I can make you feel, not how I come across necessarily. And a lot of the time when we talk to people, uh, they're going to remember how they felt when they talk to you. They're not going to necessarily remember all the anecdotes or the you know details you told yourself. 
about them. So listening is perfect. And that's true, whether it's, you know, professional, whether it's personal, like if you're dating, if you're trying to make new friends, ask questions. People love talking about themselves and people, when people feel seen and heard, which they should be and not just feel like it, but yeah, yeah, you're going to be more liked. And there is, there is really, I, I, I love what you said. It's, it's true. Everyone has an interesting story. You just need to then then the point is there the, the, the drawbacks is sometimes people don't know how to ask sometimes they don't know how to say it um but you can always find something interested interesting in anyone regardless of the status uh whether there are incredible like you know stand-up comedians like you or uh the, the, you know great head of communication like you or something else like you or something like you <laughs> Well, well, actually, you brought up stand-up comedy, and that's kind of the first place where I also learned that you don't have to pretend you're someone else. Because, like, how you were saying to your friend, like, be yourself. Uh, that's that's where like true charm and charisma comes from when you're really comfortable with who you are. Uh, a lot of the times, for instance, when we talk about how people are doing public speaking, we kind of try to push them all into this one box where you're supposed to like be live role-playing this extroverted charismatic speaker whereas in fact what we should be doing is like pulling out that person's personality and have that be them on stage as well because that can be really charming and really interesting when you feel like you're actually speaking with your own voice um so people should do that and that's so evident in stand-up comedy right so you can see two people that are both absolutely hilarious and one of them can be like a small nerdy guy who has like really nerdy jokes and he almost doesn't move on stage and then on the other end you have like these super energetic you know Dane Cook kind of stand-ups who just walk and run across the stage and they yell and they you know they they take contact with the audience and they can still both be hilarious but they can be really really different and that's actually really true for anyone in any context like just without the punchlines Okay. Well, it's so your fault. You talked about comedy, stand-up comedy. <laughs> it's your fault. You brought it up. So the, the, the what I like of this show, the idea of this show is like, it's a conversation. So we talk about whatever we want. So you talk about that. I'm in, I'm going to go in. So tell me everything about it. Starting <laughs> from what kind of character are you on stage? You were talking about this and that, like, and mm-hmm. how do you do it? Well, I think the most important thing when you do go on stage, I think the funniest people are a version of themselves. They're not actually doing characters. It really does. But the best comedy comes from from true pain, true insight, uh, true feelings, true fears. But the the more you actually feel those things, the more genuine your your material is going to be, and that's why it's going to be funny. So, I would say. It's not a character. It's me. It was me on stage. But yeah, so I started doing stand-up when I was 23. I was in college. I studied at the Helsinki Swedish School of Business and Economics. Uh, and during that time, I was also involved in politics. And and um, and stand-up, like, mind you, Finland is on the outskirts of the universe, right? So everything comes to Finland, like, tens and tens years later than they came to another countries. So there wasn't really a stand-up scene when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, nobody my age could ever have dreamt about becoming a stand-up comedian when they grow up because they just didn't know that existed. So at some point then I started seeing 
um, uh, some stand-up on Swedish TV, on British TV, maybe on the in on US TV when we were traveling. And I just thought, that's amazing. Like those people went on stage and then it took like 15 seconds and the audience was laughing and the audience kept laughing every 15 seconds. And there's no like funny hats or banana peels that they're slipping on. There's there's just that person and that story. And I thought it was amazing. So I was really interested in that, but there wasn't really a place where you could try that out, especially there was no place where you could try it out if you're under 18 and you couldn't get into bars. But then when I was in my 20s, maybe we started seeing some clubs coming to Finland and some actors were trying to do stand up and maybe some local stand up comedians. And then I saw an ad for a stand up comedy course and I thought, I don't know, I, I feel like I, I'm probably kind of funny. And then I still remember I had this friend in college we were uh, sitting with a group of friends one evening. And then at that time, Conan O'Brien had a late night show that was on TV also in Finland. And he said, he said, you know what? I would rather watch late night with Lotta Buckland than late night with Conan O'Brien. And I thought, oh, like people actually think I'm funny. Like wow. I'm actually funny. <laughs> wow. And so, and so I then decided to, um, to go on the stand-up course. And then it just took off really quickly from there. So the course, if you go on a stand-up course, it will not teach you to be funny. If you're not funny, you're not going to learn to be funny in a course, but it will help you to kind of, um, you know, I don't know, organize your thoughts into material. Like how do you write? How do you perform? Where can you go perform? Stuff like that. So it was really helpful to do, to do that course, but it was three days. And then a week after that, we did five minutes of our own material for the rest of the people only on that course. And then Once I had done my five minutes of material, the organizer came and said, all right, this was, I think, May. And she said, all right, so are you going to come on stage for real in September? And then in September, I then went in an, on an open mic evening and did my first gig. And how did it go? It went really, really well, but I also had pretty much rehearsed the entire five minutes by heart. So I guess the, you know, the building could have caught fire. And I could have probably <laughs> plowed through uh, later on, obviously not as much rehearsed material, but it did go really well. And I think that's pretty important that people were laughing because then, okay. then you go like, oh yeah. shit, okay, this is like better than heroin. And I can, I have to, you know, this is all I want to do for the rest of my life. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's, you know, you gave me, you, you could take your break to, 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 to drink something if you want before I, <laughs> I, I kill that moment. I apologize. <laughs> But um, that that gave me an idea because I the one thing that I hate of, my, of me I I'm, I'm I am I, I can't say I'm funny I I, I can laugh with people we can, I can have mm -hmm. but I can't for example I can't say jokes right, right. if I say a joke people are like <laughs> it was like okay I don't I don't know why I can't mm -hmm. I can't just say you know properly and and but that's they, they, fine not everyone has to be funny. No, you're right. Like you're very it's... handsome. You have that going for you. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really wish I could. It's something I could do. You know, say jokes in a proper way. Or I, I always had this like a little bit dream of being on a stage and being a, a stand-up comedian or a comedian mm -hmm. or like. But I, I don't. I know. I'm. I'm. I, I'm. I'm terrible. My my father had the same thing, but my father didn't realize he was not funny. So he was always trying oh. for for years. He was working also on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and uh, uh, for so for, for, for small and regional TVs. But he was always trying. Uh, but it was just like he, he his jokes were just like playing with words constantly. Mm. It was always that. Oh, and like dad it, jokes, kind of. Yes, sort of. <laughs> like, like I remember that there was like um, a New Year's Eve. Uh, he had the, he had two restaurants. So I come from a rest, Italian restaurant family. So I love food, and and I know wine very well. <laughs> and so I remember this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still, still laughing. About it. But there was this Eurasian uh, where he wanted to uh, to to make a piece um, of um, you know a comedy piece, and and he uh, tried it. He wrote it. He was like said, and was like rehearsing and. And, and there were so many jokes just about like playing with words that I remember how people after three minutes, they were like, you know, looking right oh. and left. And, and so there was this, this so in, in Italian, batter is mean to hit, right? And mano is hand, right? Mm-hmm. So you can make a joke about that man, but man. Mm-hmm. And he made this joke that was like so 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 cringe you know like like so what was was, was cringe was cringe was, was terrible and and i still have those things so i i have i'm a little bit afraid of of trying but maybe maybe in the future i will i will i will look into it like maybe well maybe help me yeah well so see the really important thing about comedy what you can learn for life about comedy is that um it's terrifying and you go on stage and there are very few professions or situations in life where you go onto a stage and you can have tens or hundreds of people looking at you and you have the spotlight and you have the microphone and you essentially are there vulnerable because you're putting out whatever you think is funny. And then they either accept you, which comes out as laughter, or they do not, which comes out as silence which is fucking awful, right? But that comes with the territory. So, but the laughs are so worth the risk, you know, for some people, okay? Not everybody wants to do it. Um, And then also, of course, the ratio is important. You need to get more laughs than you get more than silence. So if you're not getting that ratio right, then maybe you're not cut out for comedy. Um, But but it's, it's super helpful. Because after having done stand-up, I mean, a lot of people uh, describe me as fearless and I'm not fearless, but my God, yeah, of course, I'm so much more fearless than most other people because doing stand-up is much more terrifying, terrifying than most other things, right? Okay, I've not landed a plane. I'm guessing that would be awful or terrible or scary, but but having done stand-up, all kinds of, you know, presentation, public speaking, all of that seems very easy yes it's um that's exactly what you what you said before right is that if you if you're going on a stage and uh, reciting poetry or like you're you're an actor like a like something related to drama right you if you're good you're good you go there you do your piece and people will have emotions or not but at least the response from from the audience is you know it's 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 one possible reaction either silence or like crying but if if you're if you expect people to laugh and they don't it's mm-hmm. immediate failure it's like this yeah. may destroy your personality so yes you you, mu- you must be a little bit fearless so i think your friends must be must be right 
But you know what? Everyone should be a little bit more fearless because yeah. it does also turn out that so what if you die once on stage? Whatever, you go on stage again and you can have the best gig of your life the next evening. So what I think comedy teaches you is that sort of um, to put risk in perspective, right? So you know it's not that bad. Like you can go and you can fail, and guess what? It's fine. Yeah, and that course. helps to then take risks, I think, in other parts of your life. Because if you don't get a bit more resilient towards potential f failure, you're not going to have the balls to try all kinds of stuff that actually can make you happy. Oh, well, like, yes, amen to that. Amen. Because like that's, that's what, in theory, failure helps you with, right? In... in and I, I, my, my theory is there is there is no failure. There is mm -hmm. just lessons that you can learn. So you can sure. be just a person that is just saying, oh, I was unlucky with that woman or that job that, you know, they fired me or like, but you, I think if you just take it as, okay, it's a lesson. It's a lesson. What did I learn this time, right? What did they do wrong? Exactly. Or you know what? This is the first thing that we tried. So it's like, I think uh, a lot of startups are good examples of it. Uh, you know, the first thing they do might really quickly turn out that this is actually not a profitable way, a profitable way of running a business. So they pivot, they pivot really quickly and then they do something else. And then that turns out to be the way that you do get to success. Or if you look at all these super famous great talented actors like Meryl Streep or John Hamm, they've both talked about how they came to Hollywood and could not get a job. Do you know Meryl Streep actually auditioned for the, the lead role of King Kong, like the lady part in the King Kong, and they didn't. They didn't take Meryl Streep. No like idea. how fucking stupid are you not to hire Meryl Streep, right? But we none of us could ever say Meryl Streep is a failure because she did go to an audition and she didn't get the role and she went to several auditions and get, didn't get those roles. So really it's all about perspective, right? So like failing once is nothing or failing even 10 times or 20 times is nothing because you are looking at it too short term. You have to zoom out. Yeah, there are, I think there are plenty of, of stories like that of people that tried even for, you know, like 20 years and then at yeah. some point, like, bam. Yeah, politicians are another great example. Like, unless you're ready to fail in an election, um, you're never going to be elected to anything. And I bet you every single, okay, maybe not Trump, but every single other president or politician who ever held a big office they have stood for election or ran for parliament or for local government or something. And they did not get elected because a lot of the times, you know, the first time is a failure. And then that's when you gather information, you gather voters. And so then two or four or six years later, you do it again. And that's when you, that's when you get elected. Hmm. Yeah, everything ties in into every, everything else. I, I love it. And once again, your fault. You you brought politics into into mm -hmm. the conversation. So, <laughs> um, so I'm so, doing this for you, aren't I? <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. It's uh, the easiest guest uh, that I could ever have. Um, and guess what? We already did like 26 minutes, and I feel I could talk <laughs> to you for 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 another two hours. But I need to I need to stay within one hour. This let's set one hour and fifty minutes stop, and we're gonna All right. and then we're gonna stop. Let's see. Good, that's um, our goal. So, even less, even less. I won't I okay. won't keep you for too long. Um, so 
Then there is, we were talking about politics. You apparently started in politics also relatively early, which is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, fantastic in my opinion. Being involved in politics is something, uh, it's something right, because if you don't care about politics, politics will care about you somehow, but then maybe not the way you want, right? Mm -hmm. So in general, people that are, uh, they are into politics uh, are, they have my, you know, I, 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 I I'm in awe with them, especially uh, if they start at a young age, whether they are on one side or the other side, whether on my side or the other side, whatever, regardless, it's still people that, that care uh, about themselves, their family, the society, and they want to do something better, in theory. Remember that I come from Italy, so it's not always <laughs> like that. Yeah, your culture is a little bit different than the Finnish political culture. <laughs> oh. Oh, I, I, I am. Ah, yes. Let's talk about like your politics uh, because I, right. I think talking about Italian politics, we're going nowhere. Uh, I just get, we'll just get frustrated. But so you got there early. Tell me a little bit of how, when, what, and what did you achieve? It's interesting to me. Right. So um, I was actually 13 years old when I, for the first time, thought I want to get involved in politics and what was happening back then. So for context, I'm 43 years old. So this was back in 93, probably, or something like that. Uh, and the Finland was going through an election. There was a general election for whether Finland should join the EU or not. And there was only one party that was super pro-EU and had been pro-EU for years. And then the others were kind of, you know, some were some were pro, some were against, but then they weren't like super passionately for the European Union. Whereas I thought, oh my God, yes, of course, we have to be international, we have to be connected, you know. And so that's essentially how I chose my party. Now, the lucky thing is that it actually turned out to be the one party that I, I also ideologically identify with and that, you know, that I found out later on, because when you're 13, maybe your values aren't super clear maybe your ideology isn't super developed yet um but so i did and i uh i looked them up in the phone book where the office was and i walked into the office and i said hello i'm here can i somehow get involved and they said well you have to be 15 to be able to join the youth league so i went home and i came back when i was 15 and i said all right now now can i be a part of this and um and then <laughs> i became a member of the party uh, and of the, the youth league then. And then I've done most of the things that you can do in the sort of youth spectrum. So so I was on eventually on the board of the entire uh, party youth league nationally. I was, uh, I was uh, the vice president for the Nordic organization. I was president of the Nordic Youth Council. I was Finland's youth delegate to the United Nations General Assembly. I was on the Board of Education in Helsinki. I was also involved in student politics. So I was on the board of the National Union of Students and I was president of my own student union uh, at my own university. So I was really, really involved in a bunch of stuff. I have actually uh, run a couple of times. So I'm, uh, I'm a deputy member of the board of the, the city of Helsinki. And I'm also on the board of culture, stuff like that. But I think the most... I guess a powerful position I've held was the job I had before I went to Rovio, which was I was a political advisor to the mayor of Helsinki. Po political advisor to the mayor of Helsinki. Wow, that's yeah. that sounds 
big? Is it big? Well, I mean, uh, you know, Finland is a small country, but Helsinki is in terms of uh, being a city. The, it is the biggest city. It's the most populous city. It is the biggest employer in Finland. So, uh, yeah, it was, but it was especially, it was interesting because if you work for the mayor, the mayor essentially runs everything. They have everything except the police and the military, right? But every other aspect, I mean, for context, Finland is, a, a we call it welfare nation, you know, so there's a quite a big public sector, but the public sector, in the, the city is there for the citizens from cradle to grave, right? So even before you're born, you have the, the maternal meetings with your doctor, and then, you know, we have daycare, a huge daycare, system so that we can get women back to work early uh, and get kids integrated with other kids in daycare. Then there's the school system. There's so many touch points for citizens with the city. Uh, but then on the other hand, it's not just small and local because cities are, you know, going to be the ones that eventually solve all our big problems, right? So for instance, with climate, it's really important that we have, you know, UN climate congresses and we have overarching uh, climate uh, goals that are international. But in the end, it's going to be about how do we build our houses? How energy efficient are they? How do we move in the future? Are we going to be moving more electric, uh, you know, electrically or, you know, is there going to be public transport versus is everyone going to be driving around with their gas consuming cars? So um, implementing all of this stuff is going to actually be happening locally. So we can see that cities are really the new nation states in, in a lot of ways. So. So working for a mayor is at this time in time, super, super interesting. Wow, it's, it's, it's something that uh, always strikes me for, for, for being super helpful, right? This, you know, being part of like the, the city council and, and also in my opinion, uh, being in, a, in, a, in the city council, like in a city like Helsinki, in Finland, it is great. I don't, I don't know if you, if you know about that, but I, I've, I'm, I'm in love with the city um, and with Finnish people in general. I found them incredibly fair, incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, I work, I've been working in the video game industry for uh, wow, it's already more than 16 years old, 17, 17, almost 18 years, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and and so always been on the service provider side. Uh, most of the time, I started at Nintendo, but then uh, the other 16 years, it was like um, at the service provider side. So I've been working with everyone, right? I would work. I've been working with people from Finland, Germany, Spain, blah blah blah, and and no one is like the Finns. If you make a mistake, if if you make a mistake or if you make multiple mistakes, and and the Finns will tell you, hey, you made a mistake. They will be quite quite straightforward. You made a mm -hmm. mistake. Tell me how. And this is the beauty. They say, tell me how you're going to fix it. They don't say, oh, I'm looking for someone else. Uh, you know, like you're not good enough. They don't do things behind your back, like looking already for someone else. But like, give a chance to fix, right? And they will tell you, tell me how you fix it. You create a plan. You tell them this is the way I fix it. And, and they will give you like a second chance without, you know, like a big, you know, uh, um, making a big fuss of it. They just will tell you, please fix it and tell me how you're going to do it and tell me how this is not going to happen anymore. Boom, done, next, you know, and that's beautiful. 
and I've been coming to Finland since uh, the year 1999, uh, almost mm-hmm. every year, uh, and, and and often, and I really and I, and I really like it. So I think that Helsinki is so well organized, and I think that yesterday I saw an article that was talking about how uh, Finland or Helsinki, together with another city in the Netherlands, is like the best. Like I, I don't know, like tra- traffic j- j- management mm-hmm. of the city, uh, which you know doesn't surprise me. Uh, so and I and I can imagine working for working in, in politics in Finland. It must be good because things are done and properly in a in a in a good way. Well, that's true. And kind of going back to what you were saying about Finns, I do think maybe we're not the most creative people, but we are super pragmatic, I guess. You know, so uh, we're probably pragmatic also in, in all of that, like whether it's, uh, you know, planning of infrastructure or, or traffic or city planning. Uh, this also, I mean, you have to admit is possible because we have quite a big public sector, which is then reflected in our taxation, right? Which which we're actually kind of all fine with, but but it does feel uh, it does feel like a big chunk of money that's taken out of your paycheck for foreigners who come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how f- from there, uh, from <laughs> from being in politics uh, in this amazing country, in my opinion, maybe too cold, maybe too cold for an Italian. I a even, little, uh, yeah. Or yes, for a Finn, I... sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I even thought about moving my family to uh, to Finland. Um, you know, it's it's it became like very expensive the moving and staying. So and like you know, uh, wouldn't so I decided not to. And also like it's it's so incredibly cold sometimes that I think it's not even just cold. I think you can take it in Poland. You can go. It's always like four degrees warmer than in than in Finland. But mm-hmm. still, uh, is is the is the darkness is like too much. Yeah, dark. maybe that would affect me. Yeah. So from from politics to Rovio to video game, question number one is: Are you a gamer? Question number two is: How do you move to Rovio? So yes, uh, we actually did a campaign last year for Women's Day for International Women's Day, where we had different kind of women coming in and saying they're gamers. Because gamer, the title, right? We have gamer gate and all of that. It's very sort of male and masculine. And I also think it's been hijacked by console gamers, for instance. So if I play a mobile game for an hour a day, wouldn't I count as a gamer, right? So, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah why not? So when uh, so the mayor's term was ending, I saw that Rabia was looking for head of communications and PR. I decided to apply. Uh, the last sentence in my application was, after I had explained who I am and what my CV and all my you know professional credentials were, the last sentence was, and not to brag, but I do have three stars in all my restaurants in Cooking Fever. Um, <laughs> to convey that I do no, in fact didn't. play no, mobile games. No, you didn't. of course, of course. Oh, I. By the way, I am amazing in Cooking Fever. I am so good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and yeah, so when I started, then I did get the job. Uh, I started and I downloaded all of Rovio's games because obviously everybody knows Angry Birds, everybody knows the Slingshot game, uh, but I knew that there were other games too. For instance, Angry Birds Dream Blast. So I downloaded Angry Birds Dream Blast, and I am now on level. 6,800 or something. So I've been playing that game a lot. <laughs> and if someone hasn't tried Dream Blast yet, do it. But do it like 
in a time where you know you're gonna be able to allocate like hours from your day to play it? Yes, that's a, that, that's. You know what? Um, I, I've I've been working with, with you know together with Rovio for for many years, um, and there was a there was a game that they released, and it was not very successful. But for me, it was one of the best mobile game ever ever made. Uh, obviously, it was badly monetized at the time, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but there was like it was called Tiny Thieves. <laughs> yeah, oh, Tiny Thief. Yeah. Tiny, tiny thief, yeah, or mm -hmm. yes, tiny thief, and it was like beautiful. Did you know the game? Uh huh. Yeah, I've never played it, but I've seen the screenshots, and yeah, because sometimes we do get messages like "Bring back Tiny Thief." <laughs> yes, yes, I'm one of I'm one of those. <laughs> and people don't really know yeah, it. Stop sending them. <laughs> yes, and also the, the bad piggies game uh, where we really nice when you need to build like your um, your vehicle and make it go mm -hmm. like that. That was that was genius. That was also like a genius a genius game. Um, but you know, Rovio is it, and 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 so how is it been? Rovio, I know it's a great company to work for. It's like fantastic. I mean, the values that they represent uh, are incredible. So I'm, I'm I'm in love with them. And but how is it working for them? And also, I I've seen it's, it's public, so I've seen it that is. you are quitting. Uh -huh, so yes, I'm a little bit about that. <laughs> So I've been with the company for three years almost. I did uh, resign a couple of weeks ago. My last day with the company is going to be February 5th. So I am still employed when this podcast is coming out. Uh, and uh, I still completely love my team there and uh, and am not leaving because of that. Uh, I, I sort of am trying to walk the walk rather than just talk the talk. Um, what I write in my book is if you are not constantly or fairly often in a zone where you're not comfortable, then you're not learning. And maybe I did, you know, I've learned a lot during my stay at Rovio, but, uh, but I think it is time to, you know, uh, jump off the cliff. I, I do it periodically and I usually land on my feet, but, uh, but how long, I have to. How long was it? For how so long? So I've been with the. I've been with the company almost three years. Yeah. So, um, so I hadn't worked in the gaming industry before. I worked for eight years for Warner Brothers, where I ran development and sales. That was about uh, creating new formats entirely. It was also about bringing, or, you know, scouting the world for free IP that we could create into formats, or we could, you know, buy formats that we could produce in Finland. It was also about creating or internationalizing, commercializing the formats that we were able to sell here and then maybe get them produced somewhere else as well. Uh, I did that for eight years. So the entertainment industry was, you know, because I think movies, TV, games, all of that, it's very transmedia, it's entertainment. So um, I did, however, always kind of have the inkling that linear, linear TV, that's like a That's like a dying industry. I think people are gonna want to watch good content in the future as well. But the business model of creating shows for linear TV, TV is is you know that's not that's not the the business of the future. And I already, when I was working for Warner Brothers, kind of always thought like the gaming industry that's really interesting. Uh, and then just uh, you know the stars were in the right place, and I was ending my job with the mayor because this term ended, and then this 
place was opened and then then uh, I got it and it's been a it's been a great place to see the gaming industry obviously one really interesting process that I got to be a part of was the Sega acquisition so so Rovio turned 20 years last year now for a mobile gaming company that's obviously ancient because if you remember what kind of phone you had 20 years ago it was not a smartphone but yet that is yeah. when Rovio was created and the three guys started creating games then back then it was for different platforms and and uh, the, the obviously the monetization wasn't like it is today uh, but but it's still alive and obviously Angry Birds is one of the most well probably for Finland the most famous IP in the world uh, if not the most famous <laughs> you know globally so uh it to me also felt a little bit like working for a national treasure as a Finn to be working for the angry birds that was really important uh and the and Rovio was uh, publicly listed in 2017 so after that it's been publicly traded at the helsinki stock exchange and then last year came this newest uh you know, change in the Rovio history, which was that Sega made an um, offer on Rovio that was accepted by the board and uh, and the deal went through. Obviously, it takes a little bit longer to acquire a company that is publicly traded because you have to collect, you have to buy individually all the shares from all of the thousands of shareholders. So it took months, but um, but happened on time and everybody seemed very happy with the acquisition and internally, Rovians have been super happy with the acquisition. So Sega of course has been you know around for thousands of years that's not factually correct but they are over a hundred it's like a really old company and it's always valued ip and that is i think something that resonates really really well with rovians because we have angry birds that we value they have sonic but not only sonic the hedgehog they have actually tens of other ip as well which they nurture and they value and they they really think about what it does for fandom and how that is created, how community is created. So a lot of those same things that are important to us are important to them. So it seems like it's obviously uh, it's new because we have all these new colleagues and new reporting lines and all of that. But so far, everyone seems seems really happy of what we've seen of this uh, this marriage together. I think is a I think is one of those great marriages. Uh, honestly, is you know you know when when you when you when you see that you know those 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 two people and you know they're like and, and they're together and you and you think like they are they're made for each other sort of. Um, I don't know. I see I see something in in there. It's not just like an acquisition like any other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it looks like like a good marriage, honestly. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, not something, for example, that I felt with previous uh, offers for, you know, for buying. Then uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, there were other, uh, you know, without saying any, but, you know, it was That's different. fine. It was, it was public. You can talk about it. Playtika put out a, pub, a, a press release, <laughs> essentially, saying we've made an offer. So I found out about it through the press release as well. And, you know, so, so it was a, it was a maneuver, I would say. Uh, I remember, which I remember took us by I'll, surprise, but that was, yeah. that was months before the, the Sega acquisition that was published. I remember I was at the gym <laughs> and, you know, I'm there doing my things and I, and I, and I put, you know, this, like the, I had my headphones on and I'm listening to this, oh, you know, like play Tika and like without anything bad about play Tika, but it's just like, and I thought like, 
what? Like, it's just a different culture. It's such a different culture that is amazing. I work with uh, people from uh, or from company from Israel, and I work a lot with companies from from Finland, and, and just like a different culture. I I don't know how you can make that go together, right? It's it's almost it's almost impossible. Um, yeah, right. Well, you know, there's there's cultural differences between Japan and Finland as well. But uh, so far, it's been really interesting to learn about that other culture. And also, I think it's really healthy and really good for people to to have to get to know mm-hmm. people from other cultures and get to know business cultures from other parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that uh, moving into the corporate world, so moving into, into Rovio, like in a way, in any way, hindered your creativity in, in any way did you manage to balance creativity and career i don't know what or, or oh no. yeah absolutely and i've always wherever i've worked i've always said that uh i'm a company woman right so i'm doing this a hundred percent but i also do other things <laughs> and that comes with the package and for a lot of places that's actually a plus right okay so i'm famous in finland for good or bad, uh, I, I I'm on television, so I'm uh, on a comedy panel show, for instance, uh, in Finland. I have a column in one of the biggest women's magazines. I I'm writing my book. I do these hosting gigs or other sort of fun things that I get asked to do. I have three different podcasts at the moment. Uh, so these are all things that I really have to do. You know, I I really need them because I think. I need outlets to be creative. I need reasons to be funny or, or you know, uh, innovative with content. Uh, and for me, that's super important. And luckily, I've always had employers who also think it's important that I get to do those things. Yeah, it's amazing. Whenever the company that you work for supports you in what you do outside the, you know, the, 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 the work, it's 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 amazing it's amazing mm-hmm. I, yeah. I have i have to say i have a lot of support from ptw as well you know they told me it's great um even there was a point even when you know asked me do you want to do this podcast under the ptw umbrella and i said no this must be mine they said it's fine it's beautiful go on if we can help you in any way finding the people or whatever uh, but the good thing is that so far, everyone is super excited when I ask, um, just because it's a conversation, and there is there are there are podcasts in this industry. Uh, but I guess the the part that we're always, we're still missing is knowing who Lotta is or who Person X is. We know about what they do, we know about the, the games, we know about their teams, but we know so little about them, and that's exactly what I want to what I want to achieve. So so far, it's been very easy. When I say it, people are like yes. Apart from from someone that said yes, but let me ask my company if I can do it uh, because it's still represent the uh, service provider, so I need to ask. So apart from right. that, and this is kind of what we were talking about in the beginning about being curious about people, because then when you find out something else than just their do- job title, then it turns out that they have like all these super interesting things that they're doing, like I don't know side hustles. That, that I keep learning new things about my colleagues at Rovio. We have one of the most famous dad bloggers working. Like he has this blog, and he's been having it for years. Um, we also have we have a lady who owns twenty parrots, and she used to be like a 
I don't know what it's called when you have those parrots mate and you sell the parrots like all this really cool but crazy but interesting curious things that you can find out about your colleagues when you talk a little bit more than just shop with them so so I think the idea of this podcast is amazing so thank you oh my god that's what I needed it thank you very much like if you're like um <laughs> but and, and what are your side things what are your hobby hobbies if you have any i mean i have i am quite sure you're gonna leave rovio and you're gonna do i think i, I read from linkedin that you're mm -hmm. gonna take care of like teaching people something you're gonna tell me more about it um but what exactly do you do also on the side at that point because you still have stand-up comedy i guess you still have like your morning show or not I don't no. know, not anymore. So tell me how it's going to look your life as soon as you leave Rovio. Um, the first month uh, is going to be just, uh, I have some gigs and I still have some, some podcasts. So I have one podcast that's been running for almost six years, no, over six years now. So it started out as uh, it's me and this lady who was uh, editor-in-chief for the you know, Cosmopolitan magazine in Finland. Uh, so we were doing it for one of the, the tabloid or the women's magazine, uh, one of the media companies for a couple of years. But then the, the magazine was uh, like they ended, they stopped doing the magazine. So then obviously they stopped doing the podcast. But me and Mina thought like we actually have a lot of fun talking to each other every week. So we'll just continue this podcast. So we're not getting paid for the podcast anymore. So now we're just doing it because we have like thousands of listeners every week who are women our age, who want to want to listen to us, who we've kind of become like friends to. So they take us when they go on a jog or they're cleaning or something. So we get a lot of feedback, like how it feels like an hour with your two girlfriends, essentially. So that's been going on for seven years. Now, other than that, I also do sort of these um, bespoke podcasts, so uh, which are just work for hire, you know. So there's The Apprentice, the TV show that is going in Finland. I have The Apprentice podcast, so we're doing that. So it comes out every Monday after the show airs on television. We do a podcast where we talk about the episode. And then I have another podcast, which is about AI, which is done in collaboration with one of the big media houses in Finland and the CGI, which is an international IT consultancy firm. So we're talking about different aspects to take into consideration when you're implementing AI into your organization. So I'm doing, you know, very different kinds of podcasts, but that's fun. And I'm hopefully I have some other in the in plans. Uh, so that's one part. Then the writing, of course, is another part, which is the column that I have every third week and, uh, and the book that is coming out. And then, you know, I do random uh, events that I host. There are, you know, panels to be moderated or, or you know, you visited Roviocon, for instance, last year uh, or the yeah. year before. I've hosted Roviocon, but a lot of companies have events like that, but they don't have an in-house head of communications who is a professional host so then they'll call me up and say would you like to come and host so for instance next thursday there's this um ev company electric uh, vehicle company who turns 10 and they have a gala and they need a host for the gala so i'm going to go there and then you know host that so so stuff like that i do also but my plan for uh for an actual product other than myself well with it's, it's kind of myself as well is that um with AI. I think AI is leveling the playing field a lot. So leaders are, you know, getting quicker and better analysis uh, and they're 
um, you know, their, their organizations are going to be better and quicker and more efficient. But one thing that AI cannot really help with is the way you're able to connect with people, to motivate people, to, to get them on your side, especially if there are changes going on and change leadership communications is so important. Uh, but I see a lot of leaders and a lot of professionals not really putting down time in honing their public speaking skills, skills or their presentation skills mm, about not only how they present or how they speak to people, but what they're saying. And if I look at the, the companies that are in Finland that are providing these kind of like uh, presentation skills or public speaking trainings, it's either communications consultants who aren't professional performers, they don't stand on stage weekly, or they're actors who, you know, are good performers, but they don't know the difference between a company all hands or a board meeting or a capital markets day, right? Because those are three very, very different kinds of places where you might have to present and in very different ways because you have to understand your audience, but then they actors don't really do that. So I feel like there's a big gap in the market for someone who can help people with that. And I'm thinking that's going to be my gap. <laughs> It's yes, there is that gap. And yes, I, I, I really wish you the best in that because like it's it's needed. Not only like you're, you're going to be great, but it's needed. There is more mm -hmm. need for that. If you just even look at TikTok, uh, how many new, you know, people are just like presenting this like you know the way you need to speak and you know when you speak yeah. so they're trying to help with public speaking stage speaking etc yeah. etc so people want it people need it and then if you use it for work or if you keep it for yourself i think mm -hmm. you can learn great lessons for example for me i think that even sales just like at some point Absolutely. i was like always like, yeah. on operations qa localization and then i moved into sales and sales taught me life lessons that I would never have learned how to talk, how to listen, how to, you know, mirror sometimes, how to yep. let, let, you know, so it, it, it really teaches you a lot. And there is one thing that on Tuesday uh, this week uh, I read, right? So they were like, what make us live longer? And it, it was mm -hmm. a long study, you know, about because there are certain areas of the world where people live so much longer japan or sardinia in italy and they say what do they have in common and there are there are many you know many things especially like eating less and um yeah it's uh, eating more fish it's sleeping longer sleeping eating more longer, vegetables etc et yeah but apparently this the, the eating part is is a big thing but then then there were like the the, the study was like continuing and they said like Um, having a having a, a goal in a day, so waking up or getting up with something in mind, with a goal in mind. It is not just going to the office or taking care of your kids. Mm -hmm. It's more about I will do this. It will give you 10 years more on your you know your lifespan is gonna yeah. is gonna increase by 10 years just by having that. And 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 I can really. Um, It, it, it resonated with me because like since I had this idea of this podcast that I feel passionate about it. I want to know wh wh who Lotta is and not just about Rovio and her achievement at Rovio. And since I have this, I get up so energized in the morning and I don't know if I gained already my 10 years, but for sure with all the things you're doing, you gain 20. I, I'm, I'm sure that you're <laughs> like... <laughs> 
Well, yeah, and I think we see that also when we talk to people who are looking for jobs and like maybe Gen Z even more than us millennials is that purpose is super important. Used to be like if we look at our parents, it wasn't about like what the purpose of the company is. You just have to have a job and then you'd stay with that company maybe for 40 years and you'd get a gold watch and you'd retire. Whereas we can already see uh, our generation, I don't know how old you are, like I'm 43, so my generation at least, we're doing more precarious work. Like we don't want to stay with one company for the entirety of our life or our working life, but we do see that people uh, change jobs with, you know, a, a, a little more frequency. And now when we, we look at Gen Z, they're all about purpose. Like they really have to, it doesn't have to be that they're working for a company that's trying to, you know, solve climate change or poverty or something. It can be for something else, but they do need purpose. It's really important that the company also provides something else and that, 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 that there's a purpose with the job. First and foremost, I'm 46. Um, <laughs> So, th but thank you for sharing your age. It's something that for me, always, I always ask people, and you don't ask that. And I was like, okay. What was oh, no, no, no. I love getting older. It's great because you have more money. You're much smarter and uh, and much more balanced. Yeah, no, getting getting older is awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, there is uh -huh. one of my favorite quotes from, uh, uh, oh, it was a famous actress, Italian actress from the 50s, 60s. I think it was Anna Magnani uh, that they will, you know, they, during the they were they were uh, uh, doing the makeup right before mm -hmm. uh, before the movie, and she said, "Oh, do you want me to put something there to remove those to remove those wrinkles that you have on your forehead?" And she just and she looked at her. This became famous. She looked at her and said, "Like, honey, it took I you know it took me like fifty years to have those wrinkles. Leave them where <laughs> they are." I'm proud of those. And I feel the same. Yeah. And I feel the same. Yeah. I am I feel terrible in the morning, my back, my thing when I train, but 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 I'm happy about my wrinkles and my thing. I like it. I no, like absolutely. it. I wanna be older even. I wanna even be older. Yeah. I, I dream of the moment that I'm gonna be like retired and calmer and doing you know, it's 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 beautiful. I have no problem with being older. Um yeah. I try to keep myself like as you know, the, the, the body as young as possible because I I think it's healthy, but I don't have a problem with, with, with being older and then I'm glad. Oh God, yeah. And also the whole removing of wrinkles, that seems to be in order to appeal to younger people somehow, but I don't really like younger people. Like they seem really annoying most of the time. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> if my wrinkles deter them, then they're doing their job. Okay. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> uh, one last question is already one hour, one minute. Like one last question: Are you afraid of AI? No, no, I'm not. No, uh, I'm. Uh, I'm enjoying AI. I think actually, right now we're in this sweet spot that's going to keep going for like one or two years, where early adapters are getting significant help from, you know, ChatGPT or or Dolly or whatever you know AI systems you're using, because everybody doesn't know how to use them yet, and they're not that you know, every day and not all organizations have implemented them. They don't all have AI rules or anything like that. They don't have copilot or, or, or all of these things. So for now, you can seem like if you're an early adapter, you can seem smarter, more insightful and more efficient. Whereas in a couple of years, everybody's going to be as smart, insightful and as efficient. So yeah. so take everything you can out of these years. <laughs>
Uh, I do think there's, we're being much more mindful. Also, if you look at like policy wise, for instance, if you look at the EU policies that they're creating around AI, we're being much more mindful with AI than we ever were with social media, for instance. Social media could reign free and now we're seeing the sort of bad parts of social media and the, the ways that it's harming, for instance, kids. Uh, and we're clearly not going to take the, you know, make those same mistakes with AI. I think we're really talking about it at a, at a very good stage of AI. Like we're talking about that there always has to be that human decision, you know, like drones cannot kill without a person actually pushing the button. So, so I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm actually very hopeful about AI. Yeah, it's it it's the the, the philosophy uh, around AI now. You know, the, they'll take over. They will not take over when they will. I don't remember how they call it, like the grand intelligence or the. I, so apologies mm -hmm. if I don't know that terminology. Please don't 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 you know roast me. Um, but it's when basically AI is gonna be more intelligent than man. I think they they try to calculate the. Um, um, the the IQ of AI mm -hmm. currently, right, and it's already way more intelligent than Albert Einstein and all the the, the most intelligent people that we have in our history. I think they calculated around two hundred or something like that. While the the most intelligent people on the planet nowadays are still like a little bit above. But we're talking about the zero point zero zero one percent of yeah. human population being more intelligent than AI, and also how many months or days is gonna take until uh it overtakes it so like there are there is some fear around that um but and for i think moment... it's really important to remember that ai is always very narrow right we don't have like one supercomputer which could replace a person because a person knows many things whereas an ai will only know one certain thing it we get tricked by these large language models because they seem so human-like because we can input our questions into chat gpt and get an answer that seems like there's like some person answering us but but in fact that's not really true because then there's a bunch of stuff that chat gpt can't do and we you know, and we talk about these different robots or cobots or uh, or, or very sort of uh, strict AIs. So, so I, I do think people should uh, shouldn't be so scared because it's not as scary as it sounds. Amen to that. Once again, I think the the way to use it, at least currently, we'll see in like in five years. But like I I, I have these two examples. One, the one that was made at RovioCon. Um, by uh, this person who was presenting about how they're using it in art, you know, that they need to create mm. the ad. And so, like, it helps them uh, iterate, like, more, have more iterations until they get to the final, um, to something final. So, the human being, it's, it's obviously needed there to keep the direction. And the same thing happens to me when I'm also using ChatGPT to just, I don't know, to write an email, right? I ask, but, and, and so far, the time that it takes me, to write a proper email with ChatGPT is the same that if I did it alone. Mm -hmm. However, the outcome is better, right? right. So it, it, it's, it helps me like, write this. Oh, I don't like that part. Now do it like that. Mm, I don't like that joke. Change it like that. I, and then I need to, but at the end, I'm really thinking like, I couldn't come up with that exact same result, but you know, it, yeah. does it make sense? <clears throat> oh, it does. Yes. And so one thing that I've told my team is that uh, never again waste time by looking at a blank screen. 
Because that's what happens to writers. Whether you're a copywriter or a creative writer or anything, you're going to look at the screen and go like, oh, fuck, I should write a blog post. And I don't know what... Like, if I could just get going, if I could get the three first sentences, I'll, I'll get there. But a lot of it is just like trying to organize your thoughts. Now, if you just... You make ChatGPT do that, then you start by editing. And sometimes it does mean that you rewrite the whole thing, but it does get you going a lot quicker. And a lot of the time I've asked ChatGPT for stuff, and then there's like two words that I've actually taken out of that whole thing, but they've been so good. It's been a good pun, or it's been a good way of like formulating something that it actually has, you know, elevated my text or whatever I was trying to do. But yeah, so going back to what you were saying about that one presentation at RoveoCon, uh, so uh, it's one of our machine learning engineers who's been training this model, but I think that's a really good way also of showing uh, what uh, AI is supposed to do. So what they're doing is they're generating these backgrounds for levels, for instance, uh, in some of our games. And when we have these super talented artists, it makes sense that their working time goes to them doing much more complicated things than generating backgrounds. Because if we can have an AI generating backgrounds that are good enough for our artists, then then let's put their effort into doing something more creative, something more difficult, something that actually requires humans. And, and that's kind of what I'm thinking uh, about. And that's how I think AI should already be used in communications much more. Maybe we don't need human journalists writing texts that are only existing for the purpose of search engine optimization, right? So we'll have one sanity checker making it kind of compelling, but that's that's all the human uh, you know, touch we need for that. And let's have the copywriter do the, the more difficult stuff that they probably actually enjoy more. Yes, and the same, and the same can be can be told about localization. Like, uh, so, like this is a yes. service. I, I've been working on like lo localization teams for forever, and machine learning is learning and learning, and it's getting better. Machine translation is getting better, better, better. So when sometimes the people ask me, "What do you think is the future? All the the, the translators gonna lose their job?" I don't think so. I think there's gonna be a lot more editing work to be done. That's yeah. what you, where you want to get. They're like, okay, here's what machine translation did. Let me read it. I go through it. I read it. Oh, no, this doesn't make sense. Let me let me, let me edit it. And mm -hmm. it's much better. I think life is going to be better, even for the translators. I think I really I believe that. I agree. Yeah, so it's not really going to be about... AI is not going to take our jobs, but our jobs are going to change. Like they're going to be our new colleagues or our new assistants, perhaps rather. Uh, and you just, it's just a new skill you have to, have to learn. Yes. Well, thank you. Uh, I, it was like, we, we already one hour and, and almost nine minutes. Uh, thank you. Before I let you go, I need <laughs> to ask you a favor. And the favor, <gasps> the favor is if you, <laughs> if you could make me ever meet like Sanna Marin, that would be, I would be great. Like my, my daughter. My, I tell my daughter the stories of like uh, great women. So I have, we have this book, like the rebel, that's uh, bedtime story mm -hmm. for yeah for the rebel, rebel girls. Yeah. Yes, and so and I also put there I have to invent the story of Sanamari. But I think that whatever she did, like she was there, she was a great example of like being being you know trying and being young and still like going wherever. You know the, the the point that she reaches is very important for me is important my daughter is exposed to that kind of like stories i don't want to you know it, it's important it's important to educate it to be like 
a great independent person and I want her to to listen to this kind of story. So if one day I could go with my daughter and like, hey, this is Santa Maria, that would be that would be great. But by the way, what what about your daughter? She's she's 15? She's 14 now, yeah. 14. And 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 you you have a you I have will a not let her meet Santa Maria, no. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I have yeah. better, better, uh, uh, you know, uh, idols for her. Well, if you have someone else, like already, my, my one day I'm gonna come to Helsinki and I and I will make her meet you. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be you know if you can, if you cannot meet Santa Maria, she will meet Lotta Backlund anyway. <laughs> so I think I think it's, it's still it's still valid. But do you have a great relationship with your daughter? I do. Yeah, I guess we're kind of like a little bit of a blonde Gilmore girls kind of thing. So we have a lot of fun together. We travel together. I hear all the gossip about everything. So oh. I'm completely on top of what's happening in her and her friends' lives. Uh, I, you know, the biggest compliment that I got was that she showed me a TikTok that her best friend shared, uh, which was this girl who goes... Uh, goes to her friend's house and she's like uh gossiping with her, the friend's mother for half an hour uh and so apparently i'm like the favorite mother of the friend group which is i think a huge uh compliment because you know teenage girls aren't you know always perhaps the most accepting of adults so uh so i'm very happy about that yeah no i actually uh genuinely enjoy her company and she enjoys mine which is great and what is the the one thing that you want to teach her? What is important for you that she learns from you? Well, it's not chemistry, I'll tell you that. Um, it is to, uh, I, so I think this is a gift that was given to me somehow genetically. It's not something I learned, but I have not always and am not super interested in what other people think of me. Like I'm interested because everyone is interested, right? But it is it does affect me very little. And I think that has helped me in a lot of my life decisions and choices uh, and in the way that I conduct. And, and that's the reason that I've had so many different experiences because I've not really been afraid or I haven't really that much cared about what people, other people think. So if I could instill that into her. Now, teenage girls, they care. They care a lot what other people think of them. But, you know, that's a phase. I'm sure so did I. And so do all teenagers. So if I could make her somehow not really care what people think, then I think that is a fantastic um, wow. uh, personality trait to have. Well, that's, I, will, I, will, I will remember this. That's another thing I will try to, to teach her. But well, we, that's like one hour and 12 minutes. Thank you very much. I'm very happy that you were my first uh, guest. So uh, this was the first episode of My Name is Mario. Thank you very much, Lotta. And I hope I will see you soon in Helsinki. Goodbye. Bye.